are listening to Spitball with Andrew Ballhawk Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Spitball. That's right, folks. Episode 66 is all about the Super Bowl. Spitball. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. <laughs> Spitball. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, so that's too many times. It's all good fun. I am joined, as always, by the ever-present, ever-awesome, amazing co-host that is... Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you, sir? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, stop applauding, please. I wouldn't go that far, mate. Come on, I big you up on the intro, but I'm not going to applaud that. Which I can. How have you been diddling in these last two weeks without the uh, podcast? I have been diddling fine, actually, because I've got so much work that it's been keeping me just above breathing level. But uh, God, it's nice to have a good, uh, good old uh, natter about football. Indeed. Well, with that, we will move on with the show. You are listening to Spitball. Super Bowl 49 is now in the history books. But before we talk about the game itself, I actually want to talk about the the build up to the Super Bowl because it was a bit different for us here in the UK this week. And that is thanks to Sky Sports, who I have to give a lot of credit to. This last week, building up to the Super Bowl, Sky Sports 3 was taken over by the NFL Network. So the NFL Network was showing 24-7 from uh, Monday right the way through to the Super Bowl itself on Sunday. So we got to see all of the usual programming, things like the Finding Giants and just total access and all the great things that go with the NFL network. And for me, it got me fully immersed into the Super Bowl hype and you get to see all the interviews, like seeing Katy Perry interviewed and, and all the things that surround it, like the fan experience and just all kinds of crazy shenanigans. I mean, did you get to see any of it, Marcus? No, I don't have Sky, unfortunately, <laughs> but I did um, see some of the, because of course at, at work, we've got it all lined up. So while I was at work, yeah, I could see some of it, some of the programming, extensive coverage. I mean, what we experienced is probably only um, an iota of what it's actually like stateside. I, I agree with that. But I mean, obviously it was all NFL network programming. So from that point of view, you couldn't really get uh, much more immersed in the NFL. Now, I would love them to actually put the NFL network as a Sky Sports channel. I would happily pay additional money for that because I pay additional for the NFL network anyway. So just make it a lot more accessible for me. So all I have to do... It's whacking a number and watch it on my TV rather than have to talk about with a laptop or phone all the time. That would be fantastic. But as I say, in general, fair play to Sky Sports. Great coverage. Maybe let's have two weeks of NFL programming next time as a full build up to the Super Bowl. What do you reckon to that? To go with our three international <laughs> games this year. <laughs> Hopefully they're listening. Hopefully we'll get yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. So on I was to- gonna say I was gonna say they got they got Sky F one channel. Why not Sky NFL channel? Exactly. That is exactly the point. So, Super Bowl 49. Let's get on to the game itself now, because I'm sure everyone wants to stop me ranting and actually talk about the game. Seattle, New England, Super Bowl 49. 
in Glendale, Arizona. Marcus, what have you got to say about that? Best Super Bowl in years. Yeah, we're going to go that far, are we? Yes. The best Super Bowl since the last time the Pats were in the Super Bowl? You know what, actually? Given their credit, I think it could possibly be the last time I really got excited about the Super Bowl. I mean, like, awesome game. I mean, everything around everything around the game, like, uh, just experiencing it, it all was just, yeah, it was fantastic. Excellent. So what moments, obviously there's a few we're going to come on to in a minute because obviously those that happened at the end of the game will save to uh, a bit later in the show. But start us off, Marcus, first quarter bit of to and fro between the the Pats and the the Seahawks and and the New England D stepping up actually showing that Seattle aren't going to get it all their way. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that was the first quarter was just crazy. I mean, defensive central from uh, your Pats defense. That was crazy. Um, Getting the sacks on Wilson. I think, you know, Wilson was like he had no completions in the first first quarter. I mean, that's just that's that's quite crazy. If you think about it, you know, Zero in the completion in completion box. Yeah, the defense. Wow, have, they've kind of gone under the radar all year, really. When you think of Patriots, you don't suddenly go, "Oh, what a defense!" Well, like except for this year, though, because that was one of the reasons why prior to the Super Bowl. Now, everyone I've spoken to about the Super Bowl, it's a bit easy to say now, of course, but those I'm sure will back me up. But in the build-up to the Super Bowl, I was saying, you know, Patriots D, everyone's been underestimating them all year. But you look at that unit, look how good they are. Like so Jamie Collins, Ninkovic, uh, obviously Will Fork in the middle as well. Just as a whole, that defensive front has been very good. And their secondary, is, you know, has got to have credit in the fact that they've got some... You know, I mean, a lot of them was made when Rebus came over. But actually, if you think about like the others who are sort of surrounding him, you've got like McCourty, you've got the likes uh, of... Brandon Browner, thank you very much. You know, there's a very good uh, defensive unit just completely compiled there. And I think it has just allowed itself to just be led itself under the radar. But, you know, sometimes that's even better because, you know what, you can actually just play the game without the hype. Yeah, and if there's one thing that Seattle brings to a game, it's definitely hype, isn't it? Oh, yes. It's it's the whole nine yards of just complete and utter media storm, big talk, you know, showing the flash of just this is who we are. You go around calling yourself the Legion of Boom. You know, it's uh, you know, there's there's a lot to live up to. But you know what? You know, they sign the checks that their mouth are, are writing. You know, day in day out, they are a fantastic defense. But you are sitting there going, I think we had it all in our minds that you know when you think about put them both on a scale, which one is slightly better? I think we all had the idea that if we'd gone and said in the Super Bowl, which defence would, would dominate. I think we would have put our put our money on probably the Seattle defence dominating. Yeah, I think if you looked at both teams, you'd say Seattle had the better defence, but New England had the better offence out of the, the two teams. So it was always going to be an interesting matchup because although, for example, you'd say New England had the better offence, it doesn't mean that the Seattle offence is that bad. It just meant that, you know, you would expect more production out of that offence. And the same with the defences. Um, everyone knows about the Seattle defence, as we just said, not so much about the New England defence. But coming back to the hype as well, of course, there is one player from the Seattle Seahawks that doesn't actually buy into all the hype and bigging him up himself and in fact he rarely likes to talk to the media have you got anything you want to say about some of Marshawn Lynch's press conferences this week I'm just here so I won't get fined and I'm here so I won't get fined (laughs) and that's all you got to say about that huh 
I don't know. See, I think Marshall Lynch, he is, there's no question in anyone's mind that he is the best running back in the game at the moment. But that really bugs me. Some of the things he was saying, I mean, granted, if he didn't want to talk to the press in general, but there was even apparently a little kid there who said, oh, you know, Marshawn, you're my idol. I want to be a player like you when I'm older. What can I do to become a, a great running back like you? And then he came out with that same response. I'm just here so I don't get fined. And you think, seriously, this is a little kid. You're his boyhood hero. If I went up to one of my heroes and they said that, it would just be be absolutely devastated, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, fair enough if you just want to be sort of left from the, the really, I mean, there are some really stupid reporters out there asking some stupid questions. And yeah, they probably have gotten on your wick and it probably has drove you to a point where he's doing what he's doing right now. You know, he's just sort of turning up and basically just filling the seat and just backstating whatever is like he deems to be his mandatory response. But how much do you sit there and then the people that the non-stupid questions the, the engagement with fans, the, the the bonding with the ideas that, you know, as an entire team, if you had one guy on your team sitting there doing this whole charade, you know, would you sit there and go, come on, mate, you, you know, suck it up. We're all, I'm, I'm sure there's two or three other guys sitting there, you know, oh, I don't want to be here doing this press interview. I'm getting through it. I'm gritting my teeth, and but I'm going to answer the questions. Yeah, Properly. like Richard no, Sherman, just... for example, we, we know how he could quite often feel about the media. And again, if you just look at some of uh, the the quotes he came out with during the week, like saying, oh, I don't answer preschool questions and, and things like that, you can see kind of there is a little bit of... Um, I'm not sure what the the right word is here, but as you say, he kind of looks down on the media um, or some of the media... Um, per se but he still goes out there and he still actually does an interview so he may get annoyed with one or two questions but at the same time he still gives good quality for the interview now for for Lynch to come out and just sit there and do that for me that's you might as well have not turned up and it should be treated like a non-attendance i.e he should get fined yeah this this stuff is just it's all this is the NFL bureaucracy here sort of the paperwork behind it all Let's move away from that because otherwise I could feel I could rant on about my feelings towards particularly how Marshall Lynch behaved with the media too much and everyone who who knows me has probably already had enough of my whinging about it. So we'll get back to the game <laughs> itself. Um, and of football. course, yeah, exactly. Some football and New England, drive it down, just about to drive it into the end zone and Brady throws an interception. Ah! <laughs> Did not expect that to happen. That was unbrady-esque because it really was just a panic throw. It was just completely just withered. I mean, I know you had pressure in your face, but aren't you smart enough just to just move that axis of your arm so that way? I mean, just throw it out, just not overthrow the receiver down or something. Yeah. Yes, you know, there's guys in the end zone. If you throw it deep at the back of the end zone, you're not going to get called for a flag for it. You know, there's going to be someone nearby just softly wafting it into the sort of the middle of the, the field. Yeah, that's not a great idea. No, but Lane made a great play on the ball as well. And I really hope that kid's going to be okay. Because did you see what happened after he made the interception? Obviously, oh, during the, the run arm. back. Yeah, the there's, there's freeze frames of, of his arm as it gets broken. Again, it's not something I'm going to put in the show notes, but let's just say it was 
pretty horrific if you've not seen it already. Um, but we ha- we wish him a, a speedy recovery because that looked like a horrific injury, and I believe it's been classed as a broken wrist. Someone um, asked Coach Carroll about it, and I love how he put it. It was a significant break, not a mild break. It it, it got broke. It got broke bad. Oh yeah, didn't it? Just it was horrendous, and feel really bad for him because obviously <laughs> meant he'd missed the rest of the Super Bowl, and then subsequently it did give New England a bit of an advantage in them having to bring a backup cornerback in, which they tried to exploit as well, and and well did definitely exploit it, didn't they? For their first touchdown in the second quarter, the the slant to Brandon LaFell. You're right, actually, it did it did definitely change up the uh, change the makeup. Of, uh, of their game plan because I think it was almost just in a way it felt like they basically just sat there and went oh I, can't, I don't know the guy's name but it was number 27 and they were basically like let's throw it to whoever's been Simon. marked by 27 it was Simon and wasn't was it? it Simon says Simon. you can score now <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> but it was just literally pick on 27 I mean, because even Lane, really, Lane is that that nickel guy. So he's normally the the third corner anyway. So you mean you've got you've got Sherman and Maxwell, right? So you this is the fourth guy in. So it's yeah, you could see that there was a mixture of nerves and the fact is that this is the backup sort of coming in. It was just a little bit like let's pick on the new kid. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's very much what they did. Um, Seattle obviously managed to get themselves back in the game. Uh, with a, a touchdown. In fact, looking at this, it's just crazy. I didn't even, you know, when you get caught up in a game and you don't realize how quick together some of the scores were. Mm. Seattle, Seattle scored with just over two minutes left of the half, uh, on the beast mode run. Then a minute and a half later, Gronkowski gets a touchdown. And then less than 30 seconds later, Seattle get a touchdown. And before you know it, it's 14 all at half time. And you're thinking, how on earth did that just happen? Yeah, because it was a completely scoreless first quarter. And then it's just like 28 points in the second second quarter. It's like, uh, we all score now. (laughs) Yeah, and (laughs) such a massive momentum shift as well with that Seattle score just before half time. Because there was a couple of big plays to, to Chris Matthews, the young undrafted rookie receiver. I believe I saw a stat while I was watching the game. I think it was sometime, uh, I think it was either December the 16th or December the 6th, he was signed off the practice squad. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And the coaching staff did well to pick him up and to spot his talent, didn't they? Because he came out big when he needed to. Uh, very impressive to see someone, you know, we were saying that, like, um, bless him, that Simon, was it? Yes. Yeah, I mean, he came in under difficult circumstances and he maybe struggled a little bit. I mean, Matthews, for your fir- to get your first start and um, to sort of just be like, right, first catch is something silly. Like his, his first catch was like 40 yarder to just kick it off. And it was just kind of, it, I guess in a way, it's, it's the advantage of being Mr. Nobody because Baldwin just got, all night just got double coverage on him pretty much all the time. Curse got the same sort of treatment for most of the game. He was under very, very tight coverage. So to be the the extra guy, the the Mr. Nobody, it meant he was either having the, the sort of the nickel, the sort of sub package defenders on him, or he was being guided by, say, something like safety. And the guy is just a beast. He's like just huge. He was like a it reminded me very much of a Megatron. Very tall, very built receiver. Yeah, six five is his official height. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so move on then to the third quarter, which was Seattle's quarter. After that momentum they got just before half time, and they managed to come away with, with ten points, getting a field goal 
and the uh, touchdown to to Doug Baldwin there in the third quarter. Um, again, on the back of um, some big Chris Matthews plays, who finished the night with four receptions, 109 yards and a touchdown. Very close to a game-winning performance. Alas, we come now to the fourth quarter, which, when it counted, was New England's quarter. Marcus. There was something within the New England game plan, and it was basically find the check down as quickly as possible. And you know what? It worked every single time they ran it. Seattle did not adjust at any point to the check down receiver all night. They were running it twice, pretty much through two people, which was Edelman and Vereen. I mean, they, they got the bulk of Brady's um, completions. Yeah, 20 receptions um, between the two of them, buddy. Brady threw for 37, yeah. Yeah, 37 completion. So therefore, more than more than half. So uh, it was all night, and I just kept saying this because I'm watching it with friends and some of them are cheering on the Pats, and I'm just sitting there, I'm watching it all the time. And as the place, even just in the formation, I'm sitting there after about the second quarter into the second half, I can see Vereen's going to be open on this one or Farine's going to be the check down, or they start moving Edelman in motion, he'll cut across and he'll be the check down. And even I was as just the, the I mean, I'm not going to say I'm like the, the Mr. Coordinator and I can read the, the offense all of a sudden. However, it wasn't overly hidden. You know, the fact is that formations sort of helped themselves to be that sort of the way they were set up and you start to see them repeated. It was the fact I was very surprised Seattle didn't feel like they adjusted at all, all night, to this quite simple premise. No, how on New England, on the other hand, countered Chris Matthews in the third quarter, towards the end of the third quarter with Brandon Browner, who I understand at one point was begging his coaches to actually mark Chris Matthews because he was he was a better matchup height-wise against, um, against Matthews. Obviously, some of the coverage that Arrington had on Matthews was absolutely outstanding, but... When you've got someone five eleven marking someone who's six five, it doesn't matter how good the coverage is. If that ball, you know, to high point that ball, he's already got six inches on the guy. So it's crazy, really. But yeah, Browner came in and then and shut down Matthews then, and that was the adjustment really that that really swung in the game in New England's favour for me. Yes, I think it was really. I mean, you look into the the second half, and one reason why Seattle had, I, f- I felt they had the third quarter was the way they sort of tended to to run because most of their time seemed to come within the um, the third quarter. They actually managed to build drives together. I mean, their third down efficiency was three for 10 on the night. And most of the night, first half, apart from a couple of drives towards the end, like the one for the Marshall Lynch touchdown, which was sort of a nice built up sort of phase. They never, it was a lot of free and outs. And I feel that really the adjustment made by Belichick to sort of try and take the clock, because they had the most clock. Who who said it? One of the commentators said it, and it was an amazing little um, quote, and he said that New England know that they're not going to be able to sit there and just try and blow this out in a sort of mega score phase, because the fact is they knew that Seattle could hit them very quickly. So he said that they're going to drain the clock and they're going to make Seattle die the death of a thousand cuts. And I thought, oh, that is exactly how they want to run it. And they did. They starved the clock, they built the first downs, and like you said, in the fourth quarter, forcing Seattle to take three and outs all the time, you just sit there and go, right, our possession, let's get that first down. Right, got the first down, let's just slow this down, slow this down. Even when they were like 24-14 behind, it still felt like they were just sitting there going, 
we're not going to panic. We're still just going to take our time, score when we want to. Slow down. Yeah, I'm looking here. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can't help but agree. I'm looking here at the the scoring summary and uh, New England. Their first score nine plays, second score eight plays, third score nine plays, fourth score ten plays. Um, most of the time taking at least sort of four minutes off the clock. You look by comparison to Seattle and their longest uh, scoring drive was eight plays, 70 yards, four minutes, 51 for their first score. But after that, five plays, six plays, seven plays, not long at all coming off the clock, just scoring quickly. But let's get down to the crux of it. New England go ahead, 28-14, two minutes left on the clock for Russell Wilson Every oh, quarterback's dream. Down here now, are we? Yeah, we're right down to the crux of it now. Every quarterback's dream. You get the ball back with with just over two minutes to go. Fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, four points behind. So you need a touchdown to win. You drive your team the length of the field. Let's not forget that catch. Oh yes, yes, yeah. This is what yeah, it's going to come into. Yep. So you're driving your team the length of the field. You get an unbelievable uh, juggling catch from Jermaine Curse, which Ooh-hoo. will go in the show notes and. At one point, I know the commentators have probably said it a lot, but you have to just look at Tom Brady there <laughs> and look at his face, and you know he's just thinking to himself, how on earth can this happen again? <laughs> I mean, it was just the most ridiculous juggling catch off his feet. There was uh, nothing that... Uh, I'm trying to think who who had him in coverage. I, was, I think it was actually Butler who had him in coverage and did a very, very good job of getting Fantastic a hand on the coverage. initial pass. Great coverage. And then as the safeties come across, he's just thought, oh, okay, he's not going to catch that. Jumped over the top of Curse when actually he could have just, he could have made it an incomplete. If as he was going over, if he'd have been looking for the ball, just get the ball out of play. It wouldn't have been an interception because there was no way it was coming down in bounds, but should have made a play on the ball to stop Curse having that chance. Of course, you don't necessarily think like that, do you, when you're in, in the heat of battle? Curse comes away with a catch, gets tackled. Then Beast Mode has a run to the about the half-yard line, gets stopped. It was the length of the football, wasn't it? It was It was the length of the football. It was. And now, I have to say, now this, this may get underlooked because of the call that came on the, on the ensuing play, but I was looking at the clock, so the clock, I think they had about must have had about fifty seconds left on the clock at this point when the ball got to the half yard line, and I'm yeah. thinking to myself, New England are going to call a timeout here, give Brady as much time as possible because they had two timeouts left. Belichick didn't call a timeout. Now I can guarantee that we were all expecting him to, and the Seahawks coaches sure as uh, anything were <laughs> expecting him to call a timeout there. He didn't. He's forced them to make a play. They've probably had to make a play call quicker than they've expected to, and then. In a passing situation, or if there's going to be a pass, sorry, from that distance, you know it's going to be a quick, a quick slant or a quick out. That's going to be the passing play. Why they they didn't run it with Marshall Lynch, nobody knows. Um, they throw the slant, and and Butler makes an amazing play on the ball and a, and a great interception. It's almost like he just barges, lock it out of the way. He's like, nope, sorry, mate, this is mine. Cheers, thank you very much. Another rookie making a great play to to win the Super Bowl for the Patriots. It was almost like the Patriots knew what play they were going to run. It really, it, it felt so perfectly planned. Like almost like when you have a cue, you know, you think of this as the greatest show on earth, you know, Super Bowl, like the pinnacle. And it almost felt like if you think of it in that theatrical sense, this is the closing scene 
and it's a scene that they've replayed a thousand times before. So it's like the Patriots knew exactly what to do at that exact moment. And like you say, Butler just sort of sees it, reacts that hundredth of a second quicker than Lockett, and he's just bought himself to be the right place at the right time. Well, absolutely. And well, you know that they would have gone through it beforehand anyway, and they would have gone through probably a lot of Seattle's goal line plays but when you're a cornerback or a safety in that position particularly a cornerback whether whether it's a run or not your primary responsibility is going to be your man isn't it or or your area of the yeah. zone coverage on the goal and say so you're not worried about whether it's going to be a run or not that's almost secondary if you're in that position your first responsibility is to make sure no receiver gets open and then if you see it's a run then you kind of react and you try and stuff the run or come off the edge or do whatever you need to do but the second that you then see Wilson still has the, the ball in hand, it wasn't even a play action, was it? It was just a, a quick three-step drop, throw the slant. So at that point, they've seen there's no handoff, and they just make a he makes an amazing play on the ball. Um, again, I'll put that as an individual highlight in the show notes, um, as well as the actual game highlights itself as well, and um, will be in our podcast show notes for you all to to view. And if you haven't seen it already, where have you been? But also you could maybe relive it by <laughs> looking at the, the game highlights. So, yeah, I agree with what you said earlier on, um, even though we're now sort of 30 minutes down the line, but one of the best <laughs> one of the best Super Bowls ever, uh, certainly in, in my lifetime anyway, that I can remember. Other highlights from the game, Tom Brady, MVP, sets a record for most completions in a Super Bowl with 37, breaking his own previous record. Most yards uh, passing in a Super Bowl as well. And I say becomes the MVP with a 74% completion rate, 328 yards, four touchdowns and, and two interceptions. But as we mentioned earlier, that 74% completion rate comes from all of those checkdowns. It was the perfect game plan because it just never got picked up. I mean, that's rudimental sort of football states you know the chess match is to stay a step ahead of your opponent well you know what if you're at this point you know every move you make your opponent just doesn't react to then you know what stop broke let's not fix it it's good you know what it worked again though you know what I, I do I do strongly think maybe it's me having too much respect for for coach Belichick but when it came to the the mind games Belichick won that by not taking a timeout. he probably said to his defense the same as against New York if they run it let them in if they pass it you know what they're going to do break on the ball that's probably what he had told his players before the game a thousand times. And lo and behold, they make an, oh, an yeah. amazing play. I mean, a lot's going to be said about, you know, how it's the worst play call in history and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, the New England defense was ready for that play called Butler made an amazing play on the ball. And for me, it does come down to that lack of timeout. Everyone expected the man to take a timeout. And he said, no, I'm not going to bother. Go on, hurry up, make a play, see what you can yeah, do. Yeah, he sat there. He had the defence know exactly what he wanted them to do. If we're in this situation, you'll do A if they run, you'll do B if they throw, anything else, it doesn't matter. It's, you know what, that is a coach who has confidence and trust in his players to execute when that moment arises. 
And I think we might have to start calling him Captain Situation because when it comes to situational football, I don't know that there is a, a better coach in the league. So fair play to New England coming away with their fourth Super Bowl title, four for Tom Brady and Coach Belichick. Um, just amazing season. I remember on the night, thinking back to Sunday itself, I was just in complete shock for about five, ten minutes after that happened. Uh, I, I just couldn't get my head around the fact that they'd won. Um, on one slightly ugly note, before we uh, move on with the rest of the show, I always like good teams and, and championship winning teams and champions to be humble in both victory and defeat and not act like a buffoon. Unfortunately, one of the things why I do dislike Seattle much so I respect how good they are is for when it came to New England's kneel down, it all kicked off. Why? Why kick off in a situation like that? There's absolutely no excuses for starting that kind of punch up or brawl or whatever you want to call it. Well, you know the game's over. You know it's done and dusted. Just be gracious in defeat and say, you know what? At the end of the day, as a team, we didn't do enough to win. We screwed up. Let's walk away and let's rebuild for next year. But no, it all kicked off. And, and I just, I don't understand why. Maybe you can help explain that to me. That is just frustration, emotion, testosterone, all put into a catalyst, which is a football field. And it was just almost like if you shake up a bottle of Coke and then untap the lid, it will all fizz out. I think that was pretty much all those elements. Once they know they'd lost and that kneel down, that was it. The screw came off and all the air escaped and the, the Coke went everywhere. Um, that's not what I meant. That's really bad. Way of putting it. It like, <laughs> yeah, when you're hey, talking man, football players and coke being everywhere, that's not necessarily a good ixnay on the the coke stay. But no, we will. I think we will leave it there as for the Super Bowl. So I hope you've enjoyed our our roundup of that, and we will be back in a moment. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So that wraps us up for our Super Bowl podcast. Now, you may be thinking that Super Bowl's over and that's the last you're going to hear from us for another year. Well, that's not quite true because coming up over at the next month, we will bring you our 2014 season review podcast where we try to get all of our contributors together those that have been on the show previously um, and those that have been on the show this year to sit around the table talk about all the great things from this last season as well as our awards so we'll have our offensive player of the year defensive player of the year rookie of the year MVP similar to the awards we had last year it's going to be a great night I'm sure the beer will be flowing the innuendos will probably be flowing just as much as well won't they Marcus (laughs) (laughs) yeah well we've got to start working on the the blooper reel haven't we (laughs) well I think between some of the comments I've come out with tonight along with 
the other episodes from this season i'm pretty sure we've got enough for about a 10 minute segment so hopefully they'll just be kept back for another year um save it it for its own separate show i think this year (laughs) yeah quite possibly it may be another episode just a blooper episode that goes on for about 50 minutes but if there's anything you want to get in touch with us before the season review, anything you want to talk about, any questions you want to ask us uh, before the, the season review show itself, remember. Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. And also don't forget, with the NFL season over, we are now coming up onto LFL season, so you'll get to hear our monthly LFL podcast. Now, if you've never seen the LFL or the Legends Football League before, never heard of it, don't know what I'm talking about right now, then check out our Women of the Gridiron page, where you will find uh, the most recent uh, blog post, which is two trailers for this upcoming LFL season and there's going to be some more promo trailers coming out between now and the start of the season in April and I will also be putting some of our player interviews on the YouTube channel which is going to be exclusive just to the YouTube channel so don't forget to subscribe to that as well once again remember hey guys if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com and that is it from myself for uh, another episode Marcus as always it's been an absolute pleasure sir it's been super oh no you didn't (laughs) (laughs) don't forget we are also downloadable on iTunes our most recent episodes are also rebroadcast on the 1800 online network a link to which is at the side of the page and most importantly until next time football fans stay safe take care and thanks for stopping by (laughs) 